Luke 10, 30-37. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to, to him and banished his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave, it to, gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these, do you, of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. This is the word of the Lord. They say there are two types of sermons. <clears throat> the first type is those that comfort the afflicted. The other type is those that afflict the comfortable. This is going to be the latter of the two. To afflict the comfortable. I'm going to say a word in a minute. And I want you to prepare yourself to hear that word. It's a word that strikes fear into the hearts of nearly every Christian. It's a word we don't want to hear. It's a word that we go to great lengths not to even think about. So are you ready? Hold on to your chairs. Here's the word. Evangelism. Oh. I'll give you a moment to recover. Why do we fear evangelism? Well, I think there are quite a few reasons. One of them is, is we have some old-fashioned ideas as to what evangelism is. Maybe somebody told you evangelism is soul winning, whatever that is. Okay, sounds scary. Uh, maybe we just plain don't know how. Uh, we're not prepared. Maybe somebody told, or they quoted a verse in scripture that says you have to be prepared to, to have an answer for, for the reason, for the hope that's within you. And somebody told you that meant you had to have an answer for any question anybody might ask you. That's impossible. I don't have answers to every question my grandchildren asked me. Some of us are fearful of evangelism because we just want to keep the peace. Well, they think of evangelism as arguing people to God. Nothing is further from the truth. We don't argue people to God. We love people to God. People, when they think of evangelism, some of them think of it's a it's an us versus them mentality. Who's right? <coughs> who's wrong? Kind of a debate. And then I think one that probably is most common 
reason is fear of failures. The Barna Study Group did a survey and, and came out with this quote. It said, nine out of ten individuals who attempt to explain their beliefs and theology to other people come away from those experiences feeling as if they have failed. Nine out of ten. I think there are some reasons or excuses that are kind of built into our way of thinking as Christians, part of our theology. Uh, one of them, <coughs> I think, is a, an arrows-in philosophy of the church. Do you know what that means, arrows-in? It basically means this. We believe the church exists for us. Arrows-in. The church exists for our needs, our benefit, our whatever. Okay? It exists for us. By the way, that's not a very good church philosophy. We don't exist for ourselves. Some people use the, it's not my spiritual gift excuse. You know, it's, it's listed there, you know, pastors, teachers, evangelists. Say, well, I don't have a certificate in evangelism, so I don't have to evangelize. Another one I think is really bad theology. There's a, a, a theology that is called universalism, and it says God is going to save everybody in the end. Okay? So, you know, it's... It, it's not a matter of getting people saved. It's not a heaven and hell. God is so loving. He's just going to excuse everybody. Give everybody a ticket to heaven. So why evangelize? Another, what I think is a really bad theology, is a perverted view of predestination. Now, I have my view on predestination, and nobody's ever asked me to teach on it. So, uh, but I'm going to give you a little hint right now. Predestination in the Bible does not mean God has chosen some people to go to hell. Okay? And some to go to heaven. I mean, if that were true, then why do evangelism? People are going to go to heaven whether they want to or not, or no matter how much you talk to some people, they're going to go to hell. That's John Calvin's view of predestination. That's his definition of predestination. I reject that. Predestination is good, but not that definition of it. Another problem, I think, is that we think of evangelism as an event. In my lifetime, I've gone on door-to-door -door evangelism. I've done street evangelism. I went to a Christian serviceman center in Augusta, Georgia, for uh, one semester at college, doing evangelism. And evangelism was something that was done on Tuesday night. Or it was done on Saturday afternoon, and we think of it as an event. All right, the evangelism team is going to get together, and we're going to go out, and we're going to do evangelism tonight. Evangelism is a process. I'm going to talk more about that next week uh, as we talk about the, more of the how-tos. I want to give you two reasons that I think should make us squirm a little today. Get right down to our heart. What is it that causes us to not want to share 
our faith with others. And reason number one is this. We don't care about people getting saved and are often prejudiced against them. I want to talk, I want to use the B word today, bigotry. I do not think of myself as a bigot. I do not think of myself as prejudiced. But then I try not to think of myself too deep uh, at all. In the Bible, there's a lot of bigotry. And it's not good. I, I want us to look at some today, just real, real quickly as we go through this. Uh, do we have a good example of bigotry for an age group? Or bigotry against an age group? In Matthew 19, verses 13 through 14, says, Then little children were brought to him that he might put his hands on them and pray. But the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. The disciples have a prejudice against, were bigoted against children. They thought Christianity was all about adults. Okay, why? Well, they were adults. Okay, so it kind of made sense. I was in a church once where a number of people got very upset because a large part of the church's budget was spent on children's ministry. And they were saying, we need to spend more money on the older people. Okay, yeah, that's fine. I'm older now. You can spend money on me. I, oh, I don't care. But again, going back to a Barna group study, 94% of all Christians made their decision when they were under 18 years of age. 94%. That leaves only 6% getting saved after they become adults. And then they further refined that. 80% of that 94% were children or grandchildren of Christians. So parents, just by definition of being parents, need to be evangelists. So do grandparents. But you also see that we're not reaching out much. You know, we're not reaching out where we got our group and here's me, there's my wife, and you know, here's my children, and there's my grandchildren, and I'll evangelize this group, but not them over there. You know. We're, we're, we're ingrown. And then there is a, a, a more widespread bigotry we see in the Bible. And that's bigotry against the cultural group. And we're going to look a little bit maybe later and see where, where what cultural groups maybe we might be have that bigotry towards. Over in Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Once again, Jesus went outside beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. And as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who are the Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, 
they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. By the way, that was heavily dosed with sarcasm, I think, when Jesus said that. You know, we like to be with people who are like us, don't we? We, we congregate around people who have similar values, similar ideas, you know, similar uh, likes, interests. And for Christians, that means Christians like to hang around mostly with other Christians. Going back to another Barna Group poll, stated that boomers, now you all, you all know who you are if you're a boomer, maybe boomer, boomers have one family member or friend that is not a Christian on average. I'm a boomer. On average, I only got one unsaved friend as a Christian. Millennials, hey, we're getting better. Millennials, you know, the ones that we rag on, we make fun of, you know. I don't think we got any millennials in this church, do we? Uh, anyway, um, millennials on an average have four unsaved friends. Okay, it's getting better. How in the world are we supposed to witness to people we don't even know? We haven't even met them. Notice the two, the two categories of people that Jesus is hanging out with here. Number one was the tax collectors. Now, a tax collector back then wasn't like a tax collector today. Tax collectors were traitors to the Roman conquerors. They were thieves. They were known for their dishonesty. The, the Jews hated the tax collector, thought that they were very unpatriotic because they collaborated with, and then on top of what the Romans wanted in taxes, they added more for themselves. Sinners. It's a, this is a general term used here, and it's for people of low repute. Okay, people of low repute. People who would damage your reputation if someone saw you hanging out with them. Someone who would damage your reputation if they saw you with them. Now, who would you not want to be caught having dinner with in a restaurant? I'm going to give you four choices. A neo-Nazi with a swastika tattoo. That damage your reputation. How about a sagger? Do you know what a sagger is? I didn't know they had an official term for it. They do. A male who wears his pants so that the top of their pants is significantly below their waist. Now you know what I'm talking about, right? Okay, they're called saggers. How about a drunk or a druggie? Would you want to be seen out having dinner with a drunk or a druggie? How about a Democrat or a Republican? Okay. Are we more concerned about our reputation than we are of seeing people come to know the Lord? 
that we wouldn't even hang out with these people, we wouldn't associate these people, for fear if somebody, if somebody saw us with them, that our reputation would go down? Listen, Jesus went out of his way to befriend those who were on the fringe of their culture. Do I go out of my way to hang out with people on the fringe of my culture? And then there is another bigotry in the Bible. And this is part of what Tom read earlier. It's bigotry against a racial group. In John chapter 4, verses 5 through 9, Jesus says he, he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from his journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For the Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Now, I cannot stress enough for you today the animosity that the Jews had for the Samaritans. A widely uh, used phrase of the Jews back then was instead of calling Samaritans a nation, they called them a herd. Look, there's a herd of Samaritans over there. They were, they were degrading them to the level of animals. A, a proverb back then said, a piece of bread given by a Samaritan is more unclean than swine's flesh. And you know the Jews did not eat pork. But a clean piece of bread given from a Samaritan was more unclean than a pig. Jews would insult each other by calling them Samaritans. Oh, Mike, you're a Samaritan. <laughs> and Jesus is talking to a Samaritan woman. By the way, there's a double there. He's talking not only talking to a woman, a Samaritan, but he's talking to a woman, okay, asking her to give him a drink. That was not just surprising. That was shocking. And then no wonder the woman had the response she had. Jesus once told a, a story to answer a question on who we are to love. And, and the story is the one Tom read of the Good Samaritan. And I want to read it again, found over in Luke chapter 10. In reply to the question, who are we to love? Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he's attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan traveling came to where the man was. By the way, did you notice? 
Who? A what? A Samaritan. Okay, these filthy animals that the Jews would have nothing to do with is going to come to the aid of a Jew. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. And he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man in his own donkey, brought him to the inn, took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Jesus then says, which of the three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of Robert? Because the comment before Jesus said, you should love your neighbor. And they said, well, who's my neighbor? In other words, who should I love? Who was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Oh, that must have galled him to say that. The Samaritan. You see, in the story, there's good guys and bad guys here. The bad guys are a Jewish priest and a Levite. Now, both of these are dignified, spiritual Jewish leaders. To put into today's vernacular, they were good Christians. Okay? These are the bad guys. Who does Jesus choose to be the good guy in the story? A Samaritan. Not just an outcast, but an enemy of the Jews. And Jesus rose above human bigotry to share the good news with with despised people groups. As I was preparing this sermon, I got thinking of another story in the Bible. A story of someone who hated a people group so much that he would rather run away than go and share the good news that God wanted to save them. He's found in the book of Jonah. Jonah chapter 1 verse 2 says, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because of its wickedness has come before me. Now, Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. Assyria had attacked Israel. They were enemies. Uh, Nineveh was, was, uh, in in Jonah 3.8, says it was a violent city. It was a lawless city. It was a city of anarchy. And they were the enemies, the physical enemies of Israel. And Jonah would rather go the other way. He would rather get on a boat and go to Tarshish. He'd rather go west rather than go east in order to tell them about God's love. Why? Why did he have this hatred? Why, 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 why didn't he want to share the good news, the, the gospel at that time, if you would? Well, we finally get his motives in Jonah chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. It says, But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is 
what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish? I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Jonah wanted God to kill the Ninevites, not save them and save in a, in a physical nature here. He did not want them to experience God's grace. He, he wanted God to annihilate them, wipe them out. He hated them so much. This would be comparison to what we're talking about in evangelism, to saying, I hate a people group so much, I would never, ever go and share the gospel with them. I want them to go to hell. That's how strong Jonah's feelings are. But Jonah got two things right. I have to give him credit. Okay, Number one, Jonah understood the nature of God. God he says here, I knew you, God is gracious. He says, God is compassionate. God is slow to anger. God is abounding in love. God does not like sinning calamity or evil upon those to, to deserve it. Now, in stating that, he is also stating that he isn't all these things that God is. This is a comparison. In other words, he is saying, I have none of those traits within me. You know, if I did, I would have a different attitude about going to Nineveh. But God is gracious, compassionate slow to anger, abounding in love, does not like sending calamity or evil upon those who deserve it. God's love, our love, different. He uses a word here. That's going to be point number two. I only got two points to my sermon, so don't worry. Okay. He says God is compassionate. I like to state the number two reason why we don't want to do evangelism is we are not a compassionate people. Contrast this to, to Jesus. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 36 to 38. When he saw the crowd, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. When Jonah said that God was compassionate and, and saying, I am, am not compassionate, what he was really saying is, I don't care. I don't care about them. I don't care about people. When Jesus looked at people, he had compassion on them. He saw them as harassed. That word harassed means weary or faint, confused, or the word I like, vulnerable. The people were vulnerable to to what was going on, the influences politically, culturally, every which way, socially. They were harassed. And therefore, he, he had compassion on them. Notice when he saw the crowd, he had compassion on them. 
How we see people is going to determine how we treat them. Okay, folks, this is the price of entrance today. That line is it. Okay, let me say it again, just in case you missed it. How we see people will determine how we treat them. Bigotry comes in many different shapes and forms. How do we see that drug addict or that drunk on the street? Do we see them as sheep needing a shepherd? Or do we see them as an irritant to our refined sensibilities? How we see them is going to determine whether or not we have compassion on them. How do we look at people of another race? Now, Black Lives Matter has been something that's been in the news for over a year now. But that's not the only race that I've seen people having a lack of compassion for. Asians, Latinos, many different races out there. And we might have compassion towards one race, but then we not have the American Indian, indigenous people group, whatever, you know, not have compassion for another. Ooh, how about this one? How did we view the occupation of Capitol Hill last year? Did it make you angry? Made me angry. I admit it. Did that anger result in my having compassion on them? No, not a bit. Okay. If I had been looking through the eyes of Jesus, I would have had compassion and would have had a different experience in that situation. I might have seen them as harassed people looking for uh, an out of their situation. I believe that we will never be evangelistic until we see people like God sees them. We will be like Jonah, turning away from those who need God the most. That person sitting in the bar at 2 o'clock in the morning, drowning their sorrows in another beer, that person needs to see the love and grace of God. Who's going to them? Say, are you serious? A ministry of going into bars at 2 o'clock in the morning? Yeah. Who's going to reach them? I would not recommend that for an alcoholic. Okay. But I know an evangelist, that is his mission field. He doesn't do well raising money. Going into church and say, I need to raise money so I can sleep all day and go to bars at night. Yeah. Those people need the Lord. How about that anarchist who breaks windows out of, of downtown Seattle or wherever out of frustration because they don't like the system? Does that person need to see the compassion of God in their life? Yes, they do. Who's going to them? How about that poverty-stricken, unmarried mother of four children living in the slums 
Do they need to see a God who abounds in love? You bet they do. Who's going to them? How about that atheist who mocks us for our faith and our belief in Jesus Christ and, and thumbs their nose at all religions? Do they need to hear the gospel of the grace of God? You bet they do. But those are the people we turn away from. Those are, those are the people we, we keep our distance from. They're not like us. Prejudiced against unbelievers because of their, their culture, their race, their beliefs, their lifestyle, I believe is a, a significant hindrance to evangelism. If we're going to wait for someone who's a carbon copy of us to go to, because we'll feel comfortable even, you know, witnessing to them, we might have to wait a long time. There, there is no carbon copy of me. Okay, I've looked. We need to take a good, hard look at bigotry that hides in our hearts. And if we see the actions of others and it doesn't result in us having compassion for them, then we just might have a problem with bigotry. If we look at a person's race or their ethnic background or culture and feel anything but God's grace and love for them, and we just might have a problem with bigotry. And if we look at an unsaved person, no matter how obnoxious he or she might be, and if we don't feel God's love for them, we just might be a bigot. We're going to close in prayer. Before I do, I want to give you a moment to talk to God. This sermon's hard. It was a hard sermon to prepare, a hard sermon to give because I saw so much in me that's wrong. Because I don't see people the way God sees them. And as a result, I don't feel for them the way God feels for them. And if we're truly going to be an evangelistic church, I believe it's got to start in here. Next week, I'm going to talk about some how-tos and all that, the doing part. This is the being part. If the being part isn't right, then all the doing parts that I'm going to shell out next week won't amount to a hill of beans. Because the heart has got to be right first. So, no one praying out loud, no one talking. You just talk to the Lord in a moment. I'll close in prayer. Father, when it comes to evangelism, <clears throat> many times our little motto is, what would Jonah do instead of what would Jesus do? Jonah had no compassion. He didn't want to go because he knew God was compassionate. And Jesus saw the people and he had compassion on them. Oh, Father, make us a compassionate people for those who are not like us at all. For those that normally we would not choose to, to socialize with or be with. Father, help us to have a heart that's been purified by the flame of your word. To have all the impurities burned out. So that, Father, we would just see people 
like you do. Thank you for your word. Thank you for showing us a lot of illustrations of what not to be like, as well as what we can be through the power of Jesus Christ. In whose name I pray, amen.